Welcome to another week of Off Air. This is your weekly news and pop podcast where two mates, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, share our media expertise and break down the top three stories of the week for you. Um, And you help us do it as well because we have a Facebook group. It's called Off Air Podcast Community. And we talk about each of the topics and we include your perspectives and sometimes we pull your perspectives apart as well. But we do it very nicely and gently. We've got three topics this week. They are the Australian Open's quarantine nightmare, 72 players in hard lockdown. Um, Also, has the Australian housing market gone too far? And lastly, Army Hammer. He's the actor who now might just be a cannibal. He's pretty much a cannibal. I think it's safe to say he's a cannibal. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. We're on. How are you? I'm good. I'm still in Sydney and the borders are now open, so I'm now no longer here by captive. I'm here by choice because uh, it's my grandma's 80th birthday in a week and a half, and now I've had my arm twisted into staying for it. So now I'm just in Sydney. (laughs) Would you have to isolate if you went back to Sydney, Um, Uh, went back to Melbourne? Um, only until you get a negative COVID-19 test, which is like 48 hours or something. So that'd be fine. So is Ellie, your partner still with you or has she run away back to Melbourne? In both cases, she is still with me. Ellie and I went to Wet and Wild, which is now rebranded to Raging Waters. And they had a deal on, uh, it was, um, get a silver level season pass for the price of a day pass. So we now have season passes to Wet n Wild and we're in Sydney for a week and a half more and we're trying to figure out how many more times we can go to Wet n Wild. Because, you know, the first time... Why did time- it change the name? Why is it called Raging Waters now? Did it get more raging? What happened? Yeah, it's full of rage. There's a lot of family rage. I think they just sold it. I think they. I think Wet n Wild got out of there. I don't know why. Um, Man, they-, they were not there. They only did a five-year stint down in Sydney. It was short and the rage continues though. Then that's, uh, they've done a rebrand. Anyway, so we're going to be going back. That's the highlight of my life. Should we get started and talk about the world? Let's do it. Story number one. The Australian Open. It's getting ready to kick off in Melbourne on the 8th of Feb, so a couple of weeks away, but things aren't exactly going to plan. So far, there have been three flights with players uh, that have tested positive to COVID-19, which means that currently there are 72 international and Australian players uh, who had been on those planes that have now been put into full hotel quarantine as they arrived in Australia. All of the players believed that they were going to be in something called like a soft lockdown, where basically you're in hotel quarantine, but they were going to have five hours to exercise per day on a court with their coaches But uh, these 72 players are getting none of those things and people are really, really divided. Before we get into um, some of the different players' thoughts and everything, which side are you on in all of this? I am on the side where I think that tennis players and possibly tennis as a sport is the biggest wanker sport of all. And they're the most entitled people in the world of sports. They're the most self-entitled prats that you could possibly find in the entire sports world to the point where we celebrate, we celebrate Roger Federer because he's just slightly not an asshole. Cause he's just a normal, he's he's a normal guy. Yeah. He is like 90% of the people that play any other sport. And for that, we put him on a pedestal just because he's not 
the most self-centered human on the planet. In support of tennis, when you say it's a very self-centered sport, it needs to be a self-centered sport because it's the only sport in the world that you have to be 100% by yourself and can have zero help from anyone during like a marathon four or five hour game. You can get penalized for even looking at your coach and then making any form of signal to you. So you're out there. You don't there have to though. Being trained you choose physically. to play. No one's forcing <laughs> yeah. you to play tennis. It's not for high stakes. They earn lots of money. Novak Djokovic has come into the spotlight in all of this because he shared a list of ideas that he thought would make the lockdown better for the tennis players. It has been labeled his list of demands as if he's some type of terrorist. Um, uh, Great work by the Sydney Morning Herald. These are his Mm. ideas. I know that it is being labeled, you know, his demands, but let's go through his ideas and I want to actually talk about whether or not we think these are good or not. So number one, uh, fitness and training materials in each room. Two, decent food for the athletes because they're training. Um, Yeah. Carry out more tests and reduce the length of the quarantine. Uh, permission to visit your coach and trainer if you're testing negative, and move as many players as possible to private houses with tennis courts. Okay, so obviously the last one's sort of ridiculous. Why? Because is the I'm last assuming one ridiculous. Well, because how many houses are just kicking around Melbourne with private tennis courts that aren't that aren't opened? I think you'd be able to find a few. Don't live in. I yeah, maybe. Be- yeah, yeah, maybe a few. But what? Who do those go to? Like, we're not going to find 73 houses you for these think, tennis players to live in. You don't no, think you'd find not. 70 houses across all? It doesn't have to be in Melbourne. It can be in Victoria. Put them on a bus. Hire oh, a- maybe in Victoria. But yeah. I think that that's a big ask within two days to acquire 72. Are you talking about, like, just empty houses that happen to have tennis courts? That are on Airbnb, that have a, pri- a private house. There are a lot of big mansions around Macedon. I mean, like there are whole winery regions. There are areas of massive mm. houses with private things like that that would be just sitting there on Airbnb doing absolutely nothing at the moment. I just and don't know how you decide who gets it though. Well, because they if, all get if it. They're like, well, they, 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 yeah, okay. And, I and, don't know. And can I say as well, it's not like the government is like, oh, we don't want to pay for this for you. It's hotel quarantine now you pay for yourself. I'm pretty sure that these players are paying $3,000 each to be doing this. I think you should be able to do it wherever you want. Is that are they? Insane? Are they? I don't think that they are paying for their hotel quarantine. I think the Australian Open and the Victorian government have footed uh, those fees. I okay. think that they're paying for those. And secondly, with the food, I understand it, but they are able to get Uber Eats and they would be feeding themselves anyway. So they'd be paying for that food. And, and Bernard Tomics and his girlfriend slash co-host in in porn videos now have both come out and said that they're spending 200 day uh, 200 a day on uber eats which is fine do that but also like who really gives a shit about tennis other than a very small percentage of the population i don't get why like the we all fall in love with tennis for a brief period between when the cricket ends and before rugby and afl start and that's about it so so this is the argument and this is something that so Jess put this on our Facebook page she said I don't even understand why they're allowed to enter the country at such a high risk time just to play tennis and a lot of people mm-hmm. have been asking that question exactly so Nick let me tell you about a little place called Victoria you might have heard of it it um I know that you guys have been swanning around as if nothing's been going on uh for the last nine months or so but Victoria as a state and as an economy has been ravaged by COVID. Absolutely shut down. Every single hotel, restaurant, everything has basically been shut down for the majority of last year. 
Tennis Australia is spending $140 million and putting that money into Victoria to put on the Australian Open. And the Australian Open, on average, brings $387 million to the local travel economy. Now, obviously, those numbers aren't going to be hit again this year because it's not the same level of travel. But let's Mm. say it did, I don't know. I mean, there's no way of guessing. Let's say it did half. That's still a clean $195 million. I don't, my math is probably terrible and someone's going to message and say that that's totally wrong. We are talking about a huge impact into the local uh, economy. We're talking about hotels. These borders are open now. We have interstate travellers. We have people coming from all over Victoria coming into Melbourne itself, staying at hotels, going to restaurants, going to bars, buying things in shops. And this is something that, I mean, there have been so many small business owners who have been screaming at Dan Andrews saying, how dare you keep us closed? Well, now he's actually trying to make something happen that's going to Mm. pump millions of dollars into the economy. And everybody's getting angry because because there are people who are um, trying to, I don't know, bend rules to, to actually allow that to happen. Well, I think it's more the case that people are getting angry because the tennis players have been whinging a lot. That's Mm. where the faux outrage is coming from. And the only reason that we're all aware of that is because of social media. Like if social media didn't exist, we wouldn't care what, uh, you know, that someone from Slovakia who's stuck in a hotel and has put up a sign saying they can't breathe or wherever they're from. We wouldn't give a shit because nobody knows. Name name the fifth-ranked tennis player in men's tennis right now, Tim. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Pat Rafter. Is he still around? I don't, I don't follow the tennis. He's so old, he can't even be in Bonds commercials. Name the third ranked female in the world. Like, we don't, we don't know. Is it Ash Barty? Is it Ash Barty? I don't know. I think she might be the first or I second. I reckon she's probably third because you've got Osaka, um, uh, Williams, and then Ash Barty. <laughs> anyway, everybody was like, Ash Barty's number one in the world, but she never beat Serena Williams once or Osaka. Anyway, anyway. Uh, okay, so is this an attack against Ash Barty or is it an attack against the, the people of Victoria? Who are you, who are you angry at? That's Dan, what I want to know. Dan Andrews came out in response to Novak Djokovic's statement and he said, the virus yeah. doesn't treat you specially, so neither do we. Have we forgotten that Australia has been treating celebrities differently this entire time? We They're have- treating the tennis players differently. Other people can't get in. Other people, it's very hard to get into Australia at the moment. So yes. it's a dickhead statement from Dan Andrews. Well, yeah, we already are treating them differently. Yeah. And they have the five-hour-a-day rule. But we've been treating celebrities differently the entire time. At the moment, yeah. Miranda Kerr is isolating in a vineyard, which she has mm-hmm. rented out or something, an entire vineyard. Um, Melissa McCarthy got to uh, isolate in some special residence. Uh, we've had... Russell Crowe, uh, so many huge names that have come back to Australia for this period of time who have been isolating in their own situations. So why is it that we're so riled up when tennis players want to do it as well? No, I think it's only because they're whinging and they've been very public in their in their criticism. I don't think anyone is opposed to the tennis players coming into the country and having different rules. I think it's it's that typical case of... Uh, a mixture of tall poppy syndrome mm-hmm. and Australians being annoyed about the fact that these people, they are, we're going out of our way to accommodate them for this event to happen. And now they're complaining about the situation they've put in. I think it's just a mixture of everything. And I think probably as well, because Victorians were under such strict lockdown for mm-hmm. so long, yourself, yourself included. Do you, are you not a little bit annoyed that these, um, 
tennis players come into the country and and have refused essentially to do two weeks of what you had ex- had to experience for three months? Um, I think that what they're doing is harder. I think being locked in a hotel room with no ability to leave is harder than what, what we had. Um, but no, I personally am really happy that the world is starting to reopen events. I think that Australia is a great place for those events to happen because we have really wonderful um, testing. We have a great healthcare system. We've gotten the numbers down. And I think that we actually, as a country, need things like this in order to lift our economy back up again. Um, And it's an opportunity for us as a country to really strive ahead. We've already seen the film industry starting to move a whole bunch of projects to Australia. And I would love to see if the sporting world started to do that as well. I think it would be great for us as a whole. Um, But yes, certain things will need to be revisited, including, might I add, the two-week lockdown, which I think we have already seen is, is, like, it's essentially redundant, right? There's no Why? wait no hold on what are you talking about there's why n- is it redundant there's no reason when we have accurate testing for someone to be in a room for two weeks there's you no- don't show you don't you you don't show symptoms for seven to ten days if you get COVID on a flight you won't know you don't even test positive for seven to ten days oh that's, you won't test positive no you don't fucking really? have it. Yes, so that's why it's 14 days, so that we can test clarify. The back end. Yes, that's why you get tested on the back end. I thought that they were doing it because that's how long you can you will have it for, and that's how long it takes to recover from it. No, it's it's also in case you get a false test. I am 100% behind the two-week two lockdown. I, I feel bad for that there's some people who've been in situations where they've been put in it for six weeks because they've yeah. had a false positive or they've been exposed to COVID again. But, yeah, no, it, it's... um. That's super necessary. In the words of Jorge Masvidal, the UFC fighter, super necessary. Super necessary. (laughs) Um, Ruth posted on our Facebook page, my question is whether the players and their management were fully briefed on what would happen if someone on board tested positive because there is a question of consent. Do I know what I'm putting myself into? Um, And I agree with that. Because they weren't, they weren't fully briefed. Um, She went on, she said, I don't have a huge problem with it going ahead in that they've clearly had tight management on getting the players and their support teams here with the chartered flights and testing systems in place. But I think that crowd management in Rod Laver will be interesting. It's only nominally an outdoor stadium. So indoor rules should apply and they definitely shouldn't close the roof. That's a really interesting point to see even once the uh, event does go ahead, how they manage it because it would be so easy for an outbreak to happen when people are sharing courts, there's the same audience watching things. If somebody were to to test positive or were to be carrying it and be a super spreader in that Rod Laver arena, you would have every single audience member and every single player essentially that shuffles in and out of it for the day. And that would just be it. It would be over in an instant. So I think that's a great point from Ruth. We did it for the cricket though. It's worth pointing out. There was 20,000 people at the SCG and there was, uh, 20,000 people at the Gabba too, uh, in the past two weeks. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I err on the side of whatever the health authorities are suggesting. And I agree with you. I think it's good that the economy starts. I just personally don't like tennis very much. I have no time for it. It's a stupid game. They eat strawberries and let children pick up after them. I couldn't tell at all. Story number two. I'm sure everyone in Victoria will love this, Tim, because we're sticking with Melbourne. And everyone knows that if you live in Victoria, it is the centre of Australia both culturally, sportingly, and in everything else. And now it is almost the most expensive place to live because 
In a new report released just this week, the median house price for Melbourne is at a record high of $941,000. That is a surge of 9.5% in just a four-month period, and it is up nearly $100,000 in the past 12 months, which is absolutely massive. Uh, And I just want to put that statistically Uh into a bit of a realm for us to understand. So if you wanted to buy a a $940,000 house and you didn't want to pay lender's mortgage insurance, which is one of the biggest routes that happens in Australia, where essentially you have to pay for the bank's insurance against your loan if you don't have a 20% deposit. Which basically nobody has. So Well, well, here's the maths on this. So to buy a house in Melbourne at the moment, an average house you would need $210,000 in the bank. Now that means for an average household income after tax, they would have to save over 50% of their income for four years. So over 50% every single week and also live for a four-year period, which doesn't sound a lot, but it, it it's an extreme amount of money. You'd have to put away $1,000 a week for four years. So just imagine anyone trying to do that with children, anyone in any situation trying to do that. It's nearly impossible to buy a house in Melbourne. Uh, Sydney's even worse. They're up at $1.15 million, which I think everyone's known about. Brisbane's a little bit more affordable. But this is where I think it's interesting, and I'd love to get your opinion, because both you and I have been lucky enough to live in cities and also live regionally. Yes. Now, in regional Victoria, the median house price is half. So it's 480000 which is a way more affordable figure. Do you think we are going to see off the back of COVID and off the back of uh, workplaces adapting to distance, to Zoom meetings, all those things, do you think we're going to see a mass exodus from cities from people under 40 who want to buy property? Yeah, I 100% do. Um, it's something that I... I have personally done. Uh, mm. Have you done it? Where, where uh, you, you go uh, my my fiance does. Uh-huh. I have uh, I'm in the metros, but it's an apartment. So. Okay, so I'm yeah, a but, yeah. I'm a homeowner um, as mm. of last year, and uh, I bought a house in Bendigo where I was mm. living, and I guess now half. I mean, I don't even know where I live because of Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> that's too complicated to get into. I don't know which borders are, are open. Um, so I became a homeowner after uh, work took me to regional Victoria and I was uh, living and working there and I went, oh my God, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm living somewhere where the houses are actually affordable and FYI, people who are working in radio are earning tuppence. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the the salaries are nowhere near what everybody imagines that they are. Um and it was an absolute game changer in my life. And I think that as that secret starts to get out, I think that more young people are going to start looking at that as, as an option. And the other thing that I think of that, that I think is that uh, it's just simple supply and demand. And when the entire central business district in major cities, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, um, is located within four square blocks, then obviously everybody needs to live close to those four square blocks. And as soon as now the world is moving online. My company, uh, the Big Smoke, the digital marketing agency that I work at now, we exist purely online. We don't have a central office. I work out of a share office uh, in Melbourne and different uh, people, employees have their own situations like this. So as these things get more and more normalized, there's actually no reason for anybody 
to be living so close to the city. I mean, the, the houses and the apartments suck. They're tiny and they're super expensive and there are barely any parks. Um, mm. So I 100% think that there is going to be quite a large shift. I think that we're probably at the start of it happening. It's very interesting that the housing prices are still going up so quickly. What percentage did you say they'd gone up by? Uh, 9.5% since September last year. So everyone has been predicting a market crash ever and yeah. it could happen. And a lot of people are predicting that that will happen in March this year, uh, and April this year, once all the incentives fall out. So once job seeker is a hundred percent off the table, once job keeper is a hundred percent off the table, once a lot of banks are stopping their relaxation of mortgage payments, people are really concerned, but over the past 12 months, people haven't been spending as much money. So they've been able to save up deposits. They've also been able to leverage property they've had because the house markets continued to grow. And on top of that, banks are, and the government have been incentivizing continued purchase of property. So it, it, it's really weird to think in a pandemic that these markets have actually solidified and people are buying and selling houses more. And as you said, supply and demand, there has never been more of a demand for housing. And that also extends to the rental market. It's it's incredibly hard to find rentals at the moment. So it's it's a weird situation. I guess as a young Australian, did, did you, growing up in metro towns, did you ever think it was going to be possible to buy a house? I never did. And that's why I was so excited. And, you know, it's funny. So I'm 31. And mm. so I bought my house uh, in the year that I was 30. And it was such a steep learning curve for me because it wasn't until I was living in Bendigo when I was like 27 that I even for the very first time in my life considered that it would be a possibility because mm. previously it had been so far off the table that I had never even looked into what is lender's mortgage insurance, how do mortgages work. I literally never looked into anything. So I had to start so many conversations with people who worked at banks, with um, uh, mortgage brokers and things like that with, hey, I'm really sorry. I am so far behind in this. If you could please talk to me as if I was a four-year-old because I'm just figuring this stuff out. Um, no, I never thought that it was going to be possible, but then it was possible. So the exciting thing is, that uh, regional Australia is big um, mm. and <laughs> there are a lot of areas that have affordable houses. We're talking about it being less than 50% of the price um, in yeah. regional Victoria. And for me personally, I paid less than that number as yeah. well. Um, is it just a quick question as well? Did you, were you satisfied with the lifestyle living in Bendigo? I grew up in Sydney and I had never lived really anywhere outside of Sydney until I got into the radio world. And when you're starting out in radio, you basically just put your hand up and say, I'm happy to go wherever the work is. And mm. uh, that was scary and very exciting. And the first place that it sent me, sent me was to far north Queensland where I met you and we became very good friends. And I was only there for a year. And then I went to Bendigo where I made, which I made my home for three years. And on the whole, um, I found living regional um, or living regionally to be wonderful. And I felt like uh, there was maybe a lot of um, maybe ignorance from a lot of people that live in metro cities about what regional life 
was. I had a lot of friends and family come and meet me in Bendigo and come and see what my life was. And I think a lot of people assumed that there were cows walking around in the streets and in my backyard. And like Bendigo is beautiful. I mean, I think it has either two or three hatted restaurants at the moment. It has one of Australia's top art galleries. It has incredible live music venues. I'm sounding like an advertourism Bendigo, but... No, but I think you're right. And, and the weird thing is, I think foodies and... Sh- you hit a good point there, because foodies and chefs worked this out a long time ago. Yeah. That a lot of good chefs move regionally because they get better access to produce. And there's a big travel crowd. There's a huge travel crowd around it. Totally. So there were all of these, I had access to all these like real beautiful farm to table restaurants. There were vineyards all within 20 minutes drive of my, 20 minutes drive of my house. The quality of my life was totally different to what I had expected it to be. And then there are all the other aspects about living in something that feels like a, a community, which was really nice. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that I always noticed was when I would run, when I would go for runs, um, you could wave at anybody else who was doing a run and you yeah. know, you'd get like a nod or a wave back. And when I would run in Melbourne, I could never get anyone. I felt like a weirdo. Um, but bringing it back to that that regional life in terms of housing, um, for me, that experience totally altered my perspective on regional living. And I mm. think that that secret is yet to fully get out. I think that Australia will continue to develop. And that's a reason why we're seeing housing prices increase in regional centres, places like Bendigo and Ballarat in Victoria so quickly. Um, I'm sure that is that the same for you in Queensland? Absolutely. And it and it is, it's reflected in this data as well. So what, which I've said before, there was a 9.5% growth since September. Regionally, there was a 9.2% growth. So it yeah, really right. has sort of mirrored what's happened. I, me and my fiance were chatting because we still live regionally in Toowoomba. We were chatting with some friends at our house on the weekend and we said, I think it's great uh, until you're about 18. And yes. then I think if you grew up regionally, it's really important for you to go live in a city for about five to seven years. And then maybe when you're about 30, come back. Just because th- that is where it, there is less opportunities. When you are at that age where you want to go see live music every single night and you want to learn more about the world, and you want to protest and you want to do all that type of stuff, that's where the regional lifestyle is probably lacking a little bit. And that's also where the regional lifestyle involves a lot of drugs like ice and there's a lot of places where kids can go wrong if they don't get out and get a greater perspective of the world but I could definitely see myself living regionally for the rest of my life now probably possibly can I ask you a question so you said uh, the housing price is going up by close to 10 percent and that's Mm. uh, pretty much the same regionally and in Melbourne those numbers, I mean, people's pays, uh, people's income is not going up at 10%. So this no. can't continue forever. I think I've heard the number get thrown around that property prices double every 20 years. My incomes are not doubling every 20 years. And if the average price is $1 million now in Melbourne, 2040, $2 million, 2060, $4 million, well, it's, the, the problem it's in Australia... It's got to stop. It's got to yeah, break. That's exactly right. And But that needs to be incentivized by the government. The problem in Australia is that it's easier to buy your third house than it is to buy your th- first house, statistically. Yep. And the problem is that the government really supports that because a lot of their voter base comes from people that are buying their third house. So we need to see a greater change, like 
need is strong. I don't think we will, to be honest. I think it will continue down this trajectory, which is a bit sad. It's really sad for most of Australians. But I think you're going to see, for the first time in Australia, you're going to start to see a whole generation of people who only rent, uh, which is bigger in other countries and always has been bigger in other countries. But it's not part of what we considered the Australian dream. Part of the Australian dream was being able to buy a four-bedroom house with two bathrooms and a two-car lock-up and be able to play cricket in the backyard and have a swimming pool. But you, see, but the, and, and that is affordable and it's a realistic proposition in regional markets. And I'd really encourage anyone to go away for a weekend, especially while we can't travel overseas. If you're living in Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne, get in the car, drive up to Bundaberg, drive to the Central Coast if you're in New South Wales, drive south. Jarvis Bay is beautiful. Um, and, and drive to those regional hubs as well in Victoria and see what the lifestyle's about, go to restaurants, have a chat to people. Because the other thing is people that live regionally love to have a chat to you. Like, as, and especially if you're visiting their town, they'll, they'll tell you what they think is good and they'll probably tell you what they think is shit as well. Uh, so get out there and really get to experience part of Australia and, and, you know, consider moving to those areas and being parts of community. That's the thing I've loved the most about spending time in regional Australia is feeling like I'm part of a community. Story number three. You'd know the actor Army Hammer from movies like The Social Network, Call Me By Your Name, and my personal favourite, which is a great movie, by the way, The Man From Uncle. Um, well, now he's a cannibal. <laughs> and I, for one, I'm not sure how I feel about it. What is it? We, well, you, I saw you on our... Look, if you are a fan of the podcast, uh, feel free to jump into our closed Facebook group because we have some great chat there. And when you put this up, how do you not know how to feel about this? That's what I'm confused about. <laughs> Let it's me a really straightforward one. Um, I, I'm not, I don't know how I feel. I don't know what you have. A, okay. I want to set the scene first if you haven't heard the story. And then I'm and then I'm going to try and break pull it apart with you. Okay, so um, the news broke about a week ago with a series of leaked screenshots of conversations from Army's Instagram, including one of him asking his ex to cut off uh, her toe. Um, since then, he's had a number of exes confirm he is 100% a cannibal. There was also a screenshot of him saying to someone, "I am 100% a cannibal." Um, <laughs> Now, I didn't want to do this story until he made some kind of comment, um, yes. which he now has. He has come out and publicly apologized about one of the leaked videos. And in it, he said he was hooking up with Miss Cayman. And in his apology, he said she was not actually the current Miss Cayman. He apologized to the current Miss Cayman. Oh, good. Nick, if you were a judge, uh, is there much more that you would need to be convinced, firstly, that this guy definitely is a cannibal? Are we just locked in? I didn't want to jump the gun because it's easy to fake a screenshot of a conversation. Are we all yeah. on board that he's a cannibal? With this story, I thought it when it first came out, I thought it was like when they said that Kanye West was hooking up with a male makeup artist. Mm. Or that, I thought it was of that ilk. And then it didn't go away. And then it kept getting bigger. And then since then, they've discovered that he's into kinky stuff, which... Uh, no kink shaming here, man. If you're into a bit of S and M and rope play and stuff like that, you go for it, Army Hammer. You're a six foot five, handsome Hollywood superstar, and if it's all consenting and everyone's having fun, that's fine. Then a girlfriend came out and said he wanted to barbecue one of my ribs. Yep. 
And at first I thought that was a biblical reference, like man getting one back. No. Nope. And now it definitely seems like he enjoys eating human flesh as as part of his kink. So I think it's fair to say that allegedly we're all on board with the fact Army Army Hammer is in fact a cannibal. I think we can all what go I with that, yeah. What I don't understand is where you are confused in the fact that this is bad and that concerns me. <laughs> so do you... So, okay, so you just straight up have a rule, line in the sand, no cannibalism. Am I living in an alternate reality right now? What the fuck happened? Yes, that is clearly... <laughs> There's a few things I won't abide by, Tim, and that's tennis and eating other people. <laughs> And I and I'm not here for it. Why are you what, against? Um, a serious question. Why? Why am I against cannibalism? Yeah, yeah, because it's a giant taboo, and I can't think that it's healthy for anyone either. Like we have the laws in this country and and other countries exist to protect the stupid, and if you are happy for someone to eat a digit, or you're happy to maim yourself in some way, yeah. And you are the stupid and you need laws to protect you. But you literally just said, uh, um, I feel like we should clarify. Well, I, there's a lot to this story. So I think you need to clarify whether you're a cannibal or not. Okay. That's the first thing. The first thing that we could do is I can put up my hand and safely say I'm not a cannibal. I actually hate blood. It grosses me out more than anything else in the world. So I'm the least far. I'm not even one of those. You know when some people cut themselves and then they like put their finger in their mouth? I don't even like that. That grosses me. me out. You know I'm fine with blood and guts. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will cut open an animal and wear its skin in private. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you literally just said, and this is, I'm coming at this from a purely academic perspective. Okay. You literally just said, we don't kink shame. If you want to do rope play and this and that or whatever, if you're into bondage or whatever, and clearly this is some type of sexual thing for him, um, then go for your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, why? I do. I will kink shame if you're a pedophile. Yeah. I'll kink shame if you're into bestiality. Okay. And I'll kink shame if you want to eat other people. That's my. That's that's that that and the tennis thing. They're my hard rules that Nick lives by. I and and okay. I'll write that down. For, they're good rules for the podcast. Um. Uh. So. One other part of this story that I do think that we should just have a, a slight caveat for is um, he has had a number of exes come forward um, mm. and talk about this and say that, yes, he is a cannibal. Um, one of his exes said that he likes the feeling of skin within his teeth, which is fucking terrifying. Um, one of his exes has come forward. Her name is Courtney uh, Vuchkovic. And she has described the relationship as being um, uh, emotionally abusive. Um, and I think that you can obviously understand how trying to groom somebody into being Letting your, you eat them yeah, is questionable behavior. cannibal slave. <laughs> um, I mean, that's obviously abuse. So her quote is, he quickly grooms you in the relationship. He kind of captivates you. And while being charming, he's grooming you for these things that are darker and heavier and consuming. When I say consuming, I mean mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, just everything. So what she's describing is obviously uh, very clearly sounds like abuse to me. Um, Mm. And so I don't want to advocate for anybody abusing anybody um, or anybody trying to convince somebody to be a part of a cannibal relationship or any type of terrible relationship. But if we were to remove that from this, what is your issue with somebody finding 
a partner who has the same but reverse kink, if you will, and saying, yes, I have a thing about uh, eating dead skin and somebody saying, great, I'm going to give you dead skin. And potentially- Yeah, that but is- it's not, I don't think it's the dead skin. I okay. think he likes, the, he likes the live skin. So let's say it escalates to, I want you to give me a toe. Why, what about that is so terrible? I would probably give up a pinky for Scarlett Johansson. See? If- <laughs> See? <laughs> But I wouldn't feel good about it. I don't think it's a positive thing. I've done some I'm research. Trying to think. Oh, okay, good. I've yeah. done some research. Um, this is on the uh, Cornell uh, Law School website. Mm-hmm. Cannibalism, this, which is obviously an American um, uh, uh, law school. Cannibalism yeah. is the consumption of another human's body matter, whether consensual or not. So it's cannibalism either way. In the United States, there are no laws against cannibalism per se. But most, if not all states, have enacted laws that indirectly make it impossible to legally obtain and consume the body matter. Uh, Murder, for instance, is likely a criminal charge regardless of consent. So you can't get someone to say, yes, you can kill me and eat me. Uh, Further, even if someone consents to being eaten and kills themselves, the cannibal may still be liable for criminal or civil actions based on laws governing the abuse or desecration of a body, depending on which state you're in. None of that talks about removing an amount of your body that you would live through. I don't think that you're allowed to do that, though. I think that there's laws in place where you can't just surgically remove limbs because there's a weird fetish as well. See, okay, this is where if you want to think laterally, there are people that have um, weird mental things where they want they want to remove their limbs. Yeah. With so, why don't it's 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 like that old joke of like if you want to solve the problem with hunger world hunger and you also want to solve the problem with homelessness just get the hungry to eat the homeless oh god that's awful i thought you were going to say solve the problem with obesity just <laughs> i mean we could have done that without eating homeless people you're the, what do you mean awful you're the cannibal advocate get out of here nick picks hit me with your nick pick do you have a recommendation for everybody this week from the world Chris Stapleton, uh, who's a fantastic country music singer, he's got one of the best voices in the world. Everyone knows his song, Tennessee Whiskey. He has released a new album called Starting Over, uh, which is just, I wouldn't say return to form because he never dropped off, but go listen to it. It's an awesome album. And the craziest thing is he didn't start singing uh, professionally way down in the, he was a songwriter at first and his voice is unreal. So go listen to that. Chris Stapleton starting over. It's on Spotify. Awesome right. album. Um, Doesn't need anyone. My recommend, my Nick pick uh, for the week is I've been listening to. We the- know what yours is, Tim. It's not cannibalism. I'm not into cannibalism. I just, I just question what my Nick pick is the night driver. It's a podcast that I've been listening to. Um, and it's by Headley Thomas, who's the guy that did teacher's pet. And so oh. it's an Australian murder that took place in Bathurst in 2001. He's going back and trying to uncover uh, what what happened, basically. Um, and it's I, what I really like about his podcasts is that he releases episodes. Um, he doesn't just record the whole series and then release the episodes one at a time. He releases an episode, more information comes forward, and then he includes that in the next episode. So this series is literally growing and living from week to week um and it's happening right now they're uncovering information about it really really interesting listen it's the night driver yeah good don't eat anyone i'll see you next week well maybe that's what happened to the girl i don't know it was 2001 they never found the body catch you next week 
Um, jump into the Facebook group if uh, you want to be involved in our topics and um, tell us why you are pro or against cannibalism. We would love to hear from you. It's a question in the Facebook group right now. Search Off Air Podcast Community on Facebook and you can get involved. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities. Oh.